Welcome to Highland Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 13th, 2018, in celebration of Mother's Day, we look at God's special blessing of the moms in our lives. Today's sermon, Mom Stories of the Bible, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager with guest speakers Lenny Saunders, Jen Benner, and Julie Fair. Enjoy. Happy Mother's Day to the moms. You're welcome. You don't got to say back because that's not me. But why don't you give a, a wonderful happy Mother's Day to the ladies who are helping us serve this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'll tell you more about them in a second. I grew up uh, on Mother's Day and sometimes my mom's birthday doing something we called mom stories. Um, we would sit around a table much like this. We'd either be having a dessert, uh, more appetizers around dinner or something like that. And we'd go around the table and one by one, we would say something we love about our mom. It would either be um, a funny story uh, or just a fond memory, maybe uh, an admirable attribute of our mom that we'd share and just say, mom, this quality of faithfulness or love or respect or kindness, whatever it was, we would share that with her and just let her know how much we appreciate her. Um, and love her. So this morning, we're going to do a similar thing, but rather than us talking about just these moms and the moms in our life, we're actually going to look in the Old Testament at two stories um, and look at some mom stories. And then they're going to help me figure it out and kind of mom-splain what those mom passages actually mean. Um, Two things I know for sure about being a mom. Not one. That's the first thing. And the second one's I got one. And it about stops there. Um, So this morning, I've recruited the help of some ladies who are going to help us kind of look through some Old Testament mom stories. And first, I'd love to introduce them to you. So this is Linny. Um, Linny, do you want to tell people about your family? Yes. So um, my name is Linny Saunders, and um, we are the parents of 14. And we have adopted 11 of them from around the world. Three births are mixed up in our pile. That family picture is a good one, but 10 are missing from that picture. Um, we are, we have the 14 and only nine are left at home. Five are married. We have, uh, expecting on the way our 12th grandbaby and of the 12, five are adopted. So we are one, um, very blessed family. Normally when you say the number that you have 14 kids, do people always go, what? Is that a normal reaction? Uh, yeah. Okay. People do that. And what we tell them is, we, but don't worry, we only have nine left at home. So we're almost, we're oh almost gosh. empty nesting. You're right. 14 kids. This is Jen. Jen, why don't you tell people about your family? Hi. I do not have 14 children. <laughs> I have two awesome boys. Uh, Tyler is 20 and Noah is 17. And my wonderful husband over there, David. It's our family. And last but not least, we have Julie. Um, I'm Julie B. Fair. I have uh, one son named Cannon, and he's um, our son that was from an open adoption. And my little miracle baby, Cora J. And she's 10 months old, and she's everywhere. <laughs> well, thanks again for being here. Uh, I think this is good and it's beneficial just to hear what moms think about being a mom. Um, there are certain things that I feel like guys aren't allowed to tell a woman, and when they come from a lady, uh, it's just received better and makes more sense. Um, So that's what we're going to do this morning. The first story we're looking at is a story from Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's the story of Moses and his mom. Uh, And maybe you didn't know Moses' mom. Her name was Jochebed, which that's fun to say, Jochebed. So we're going to look at the story of Jochebed, the mother of Moses. So if you've got a Bible, Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2. If you don't have one, you could download a free app on your phone, or there should be a Bible somewhere around you. Go ahead, take that, read it. I promise it will change your life. Let me give you some context 
uh, of kind of what's going on in this story, beginning in Exodus chapter one, verse seven. Exodus chapter one, verse seven says this, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Verse 10 says, come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So the Egyptians are concerned because the Israelites who are living in the city, they're expanding more and more and more and more and they say, hey, if these guys keep it up at this rate, they could overtake the city. Or if our enemies come and try to attack us, what if the Israelites join teams? Then they're just gonna destroy us completely and they're gonna end up leaving. So the Egyptians come up with this plan. They um, put strict laws on them. They enslave them. They make them do all sorts of work. But it has an adverse effect. Verse 12 says, but the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they're hoping to thin the herd and shrink the crew. Actually, it, it began to grow all the more. Fast forward to verse 22, this is Pharaoh's final plan. It's the last thing he thinks he can do in order to really diminish the number of Israelites. Verse 22 says, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So that is the backdrop and context in which Moses is born. So we'll pick it up there in chapter two, verse one. We'll read through verse four. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now it's interesting. Think back to when you maybe had your first child or second child, whatever it might be. There's two different types of parents when they go through pregnancy stuff. There's the crazy anxious ones with all sorts of control issues. I fall into that category. Um, and one of the things we typically do is we need to find out what that baby is. Is that baby a boy or is that baby a girl? Anyone do the gender test to find out exactly what you were having before you had that thing? Who did not? Y'all are crazy. You didn't, I can't blame you if you didn't have it back then, but nowadays, you got to find out, right? Uh, but she couldn't. Jacobet couldn't do that. There were no um, scans. There were no tests. There were no de- there's, there's none of that stuff. So what they did, they just waited for the day, like a lot of you did, and you got what you got, right? But the backdrop in the context of her story is there's a 50-50 chance that this kid's either a boy or this kid's a girl. And what's the outcome if the baby's a boy? Death. Right? You can imagine some of the anxiety welling up inside of her and, and maybe she even hoped and prayed that God would in fact give her a baby girl so that everything would be fine. But on the day of that birth, what happens? They see that the baby's fine and they see that he's a son. And because she cares for him and loves him, they end up hiding him for three months. Why three months? Well, I think babies are quiet-ish up until about three months. Um, there's a stage of that cute cry, like meh, meh, and then there's like the obnoxious cry that happens at around three months, and Moses has probably hit that stage, so she finds herself having to make a choice. What is she gonna do with her son? And, and what we see her do is take her baby, put him in a basket, and set him next to the river. Now, as a kid, I don't know about you, but when I heard this story, I pictured Moses in like a kayak, white rotter rafting down this thing, like <laughs> dodging hippos and gators and stuff like that. Um, and that's not exactly what happens. She places them inside a basket and they set that basket right next to 
a river. Now the first question I want us to look at is one, just this love a mother has for her kids. Um, From what I understand, even as being a dad, the love that I have for my kids is a different type of love than I have for others. Um, And I think it's the same thing for a mother. Moms, how many of you would say, you'd say, yeah, the love I have for my kids is way different than the love I have for anybody else. Would you affirm that? Yeah, and what we see about her love and her faithfulness to the Lord, uh, it causes her to do crazy things. Um, And that's the question. What do you think compelled her to put her kid in a basket and just set him next to a river? Because that's absurd. Well, I think she just, uh, she relied on God and, and her faith in God and knowing that if she didn't do that, her only other option was he would be killed. So she had to have had some kind of knowledge of God being able to protect her child, that if she did this, then he would be in God's hands. And what we need to do with our children is hand them over to God. God will protect them. Do you guys want to comment at all? I think that faith played such a tremendous part. I have to believe that Jochebed knew that God was bigger than the situation going on right then with Pharaoh in Egypt, and that she trusted that God was going to do something specific with this baby boy of hers. And her faith drove her to do what she did, and her obviously her love and nurture for her little boy. Yeah, one of the things we talked about this last week is just understanding... Uh, how many of you would say the love I have for my kids is irrational? Like it's a lot of love, right? Like you can't even completely, I'm not saying me personally, mine is too, but I'm sure a lot of you guys, you look at the love you have for your kids and you're like, I don't understand how much I could love something quite as much as this child. Um, But what we see in the scriptures is that God actually loves our kids exceedingly more than we do. And that is a lot, a lot of love. Psalm 24, one, it says that the earth is the Lord and everything in it. Um, our kids would classify as an everything, would they not? So one of the things even I love about this story is that you, you, she gets it, right? Like you said, she gets it. She understands that her kids really don't belong to her. Her mom is just a steward for the kids that God's blessed her with. And then secondly, it's that faith and trust that leads her to go do something that we think is irrational, but faith oftentimes is, right? Let's look at verses five through 10. Verses five through 10 says, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while their young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now there's two kind of parts I want us to talk about. First is this, um, essentially what happens here is Pharaoh's daughter sees baby Moses. She takes pity on him, which is compassion, empathy, and care and concern for this child, and she essentially adopts him. And I know two of you have pursued that and sought that out, and I would love it if you could share some of your experience of why you went through with adoption and then what that has meant for your family. 
Um, I just have to give a shout out though too, because every single time I hear the story of Moses and his mom, it just reminds me of um, birth moms out there that sacrifice every day, trusting God that um, he has a plan for their kid that's not what they imagined. And so I just always love this story for that. I mean, it was just such a good um, reminder for me when I was walking through that journey. But I always say that um, adoption, um, I didn't go out searching for adoption. Um, God found me and found, you know, and an adoption found me. And um, it is such a beautiful thing. Um, I suffered for many years with infertility. Um, When I was about 25, I was 26, give or take, um, I was diagnosed with really severe endometriosis. So long story short, it's a very long battle with a lot of medications, miscarriages, um, just kind of went through the ringer. And uh, God just threw a lot of brokenness and humility um, and just cool things he did along the way, which we don't have seven hours to explain, but um, he just brought, me, brought my husband and I to adoption and opened a door for an open adoption um, about seven years into my battle. And then um, miraculously after that, three years after that, I was able to conceive um, my daughter Cora. And so um, that would have been actual 10 years of not of being completely barren. And um, so hindsight, looking back, oh my goodness, I wish I would have pursued adoption before um, and had, it, had to gone through all those hurdles and pain and journey to get there, but I also know that God um, taught me so much through that and carried me through that, um, all the loss and sorrow, and um, I, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't replace it, and I also know it made me a better mom, 100%. Um, so I just wanna encourage you that if God is placing a desire for you to adopt a baby, that um, you do it. God, I just feel he has a special heart for adoption He loves adoption, and I believe that each of us are adopted children, right, into his family. And I always tell people, between my two children, he blessed me to be able to finally carry. There is absolutely no difference, zero difference that I feel towards either of my child, biological or not. It's wild, (laughs) but there's absolutely no difference. So there is a lot of lies that the world is gonna tell you about adopting. There's a lot of worldly hurdles that you might fear. Um, Financially, um, support, we can go on for hours on that. But if you have a desire, God will fulfill it. So pursue it. For both of you, if people had questions about that process, would you be open to chatting with folks? Okay. We'll take you to dinner. (laughs) And then Lenny, how about you? Well, my heart always did want a large uh, family gathered from around the world, so I was one of those oddballs. However, adoption, I did um, experience primary infertility and secondary infertility, and um, we lost four little ones in that time, and they live with Jesus, but, um, which is a kind of cool place to grow up to. But um, we, uh, you know, adoption, when I, when I look at the story of um, Pharaoh's daughter who took pity, you know, the need was there. She saw the need, and there's need right now in the foster care system. I'm thrilled they're having a class, just a thought for anybody thinking of it. But the need is so great around the world, and God has called us. We have a response 
a responsibility, and um, we have the ability, it's what our response is going to be. And, um, you know, as far as adoption, I know there are a lot of misnomers out there, and I know one of the first ones is, how could I love anybody who's not part of me? Well, in our family, our oldest son is adopted from Korea. He's, a, uh, he's been done nine deployments with the Special Forces. He's a Black Hawk pilot now, and um, he is, like I said, from Korea. And I promise you on a stack of Bibles, when I look at him, he looks just like me. I know that doesn't make sense. And my daughter-in-law will say, he is just like you, mom. And, um, but anyway, that's this uh, past winter and Thanksgiving, we had our kids over. Uh, I mean, they all came to town, or not all of them, but most of them. And we were sitting around, and then the girls were telling labor stories because of those pregnant. And, and I turned to my one daughter and I said, how many hours must I labor with you? She goes, Mom, I'm one of the adopted ones. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. But that's like so real. I mean, seriously. There are also another misnomer that I just have to mention is there's people who when a child gets in trouble, let's suppose there's a, they shoplift and they get arrested. There is this idea where people start whispering, that's the one they adopted. Okay, guys, let's all give ourselves a reality check. How many birth children have gotten in trouble? and been arrested, but nobody says, that's the one they birthed. Do they? <laughs> it's not fair. It's really not fair. So. Kids are kids. We are, we are all sinners, only saved by grace. It is an incredible privilege to be an adoptive mom. I cannot thank the Lord enough. Like seriously, from the bottom of my heart. We just adopted two more, a 14-year-old in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic and a three-year-old with Down syndrome. We adopted them two years ago. I was telling uh, people I know, do you think we would really be doing that if we didn't love adoption? Like, really? Do you think we would? Um, because God has blessed us so much with this incredible privilege. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. And it, it really is to be a privilege and a blessing, and there's so much reward in, in being a parent. And that's, I think, one of the things that we see in this story, um, even through Jacobed's faithfulness, God rewards her, right? Because she does something that seems insane, takes her kids, puts them in a basket because she wants to save his life and trusts the Lord and loves the Lord and, and loves her little baby. Um, and what happens that very afternoon is the kid she set by the riverbank is delivered back home. Right? He, he rewards her right away for being faithful. And then we see maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years down the road. We oftentimes forget this, but Jacobet actually gives Moses up again. She was faithful in the beginning and the Lord returned him home. And then she's faithful again and delivers that baby to the doorstep of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, and he, we see his rewarding our faithfulness as, as, as parents um, all throughout our life. And I was just wondering, what are some of those rewards that you have reaped um, as a mom from watching your kids grow? I think a lot of the rewards that I see now that my kids are 20 and 17 is just how they um, want to serve the Lord in different ways. Um, they're both very talented in music. Uh, they serve on the worship team for high school. They have for junior high. Uh, my oldest wants to be a missionary, wants to go across the world sharing the gospel. Uh, my youngest uh, is in for into photography, so he loves capturing those moments. They had both went to Haiti together, um, and then hearing their stories, hearing my oldest uh, cry. I've not heard him cry since he was a child when he was talking about the orphanages and things like that and, and how it impacted him um, and how they need to know the Lord. Um, and then to see through my youngest, you know, his story is through the pictures. 
that I would sit there and weep while I'm looking at these pictures and I've never been. So to see them um, let the Lord guide them where he wants them to be and use their gifts and their talents that he has given them is a reward and such a blessing. And if you want to piggyback off of that? I'm, in t- I'm just in the beginning. Like You're just in the beginning. Three-year-old, 10-month-old. Yeah. The reward of your So I get the cute smiles and the silly. And I love sleep. you, mommy. <laughs> Sometimes he rewards you with sleep, which is always pleasant. <laughs> Some of the rewards we've seen is um, our watching our kids raise godly children themselves. And um, of our, as I said, our 12 grandchildren, five are adopted, which I feel like God has... God is showing the world that adoption is a beautiful thing. Our kids did not resent it. Instead, they embraced it and are doing it. We couldn't make them adopt. Um, and then our fourth oldest, she has a home for special needs orphans. She moved to Uganda when she was 19. And she has um, 39 kids in her care. And uh, she's been there for five years. And she moved there single. So those are kind of like, she's carrying on, you know, it's just amazing to watch. That's great. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 18, you can turn there if you want to, or I can just read it to you. Um, It talks about the faith, not just of Moses. This is that hall of faith passage we see in 11, where um, they just commend faithful people throughout the scriptures. And one of them is not just Moses, but Moses' mom and dad are commended here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 says this, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So there's a little insight into why would they do such a thing? Well, they had tremendous faith in God. Moses' mom, Jacobed, had tremendous faith that clearly had a profound influence on the faith of Moses. You know who wrote Exodus, by the way? Moses. Moses, he knew the story. He knew about his mom's faithfulness. He knew about how he was born during a time when he should have been tossed into a river to be killed. He knew his mom stuck her neck out there to save his life. He saw the faith of his mom. And I think the more and more we look at our own lives, we see that our moms who are faithful to the Lord, some of their faith rubs off off on us, doesn't it? That the faith of the mother sometimes becomes the faith of your child, that the mother instills faithfulness in her children so that their children will continue instilling faithfulness in others. So the question I have is first, uh, who are the women in your life that instilled your faith? We'll start there. Um, I became a believer in my young 20s, so I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And when I became a believer, my husband and I were a part of a smaller church, um, immediately got involved in a small group with um, young marrieds. And the leaders that we had were just a tremendous blessing. They're still um, in our lives. They're, they're family to us. Um, they live in another state, but they're still family. And uh, her name's Dina. She is just a great example of a godly woman. And she was right there beside me, guiding me, being an example, because I had no idea what I was doing. So um, I had her. And then just being able to be blessed to work here at Highlands and being surrounded by godly women is such a blessing. I know, especially Diane Harvey, um, we have kids about the same age. So her and I share a lot of stories, a lot of prayer, a lot of crying, a lot of laughing. So having that community of women around gives such relief because I know if I need prayer, I need something, they'll jump to it. And I know they're there. And that's, that gives me such a sense of peace and relief and knowing that I'm not alone. I was blessed with just awesome, awesome women in my life, my grandma and my mom, and killer ladies. Um, but anyways, I live away from home, 
And so I've just learned that um, I have to work down myself with mom friends, but not like mom friends, you know, like women that have our moms who've kind of walked that journey and been there and done that. And Highlands has been an amazing way that I've been able to connect with women who um, have adult children, um, have survived teenagers. And so, you know, when my kid's throwing a massive meltdown in the Safeway aisle, I can go, you know what? She survived. She survived teenagers. It's going to be okay. So, you know, I just think just surrounding myself with women of faith. And God brings, you put your neck out there with God, and he will bring you the people that need to breathe life into you. It's really cool. That's good. Speaking of faithful women, we'll move on to the next story. We're going to look at the book of Ruth. Um, it's four chapters. We're not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time. There's just a couple things I want to make comment on. Um, it's the story of Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth. Um, how many of you have a mother-in-law? Now, does culture um, praise and uplift the relationship of mother-in-law to son-in-law or daughter-in-law? No, they don't. They really don't. And one of the wonderful things about the story is that we see that really elevated um, and lifted high. So let me read Ruth chapter one, verses one through five. Sets the context again for the story and everything else that goes on in that book. Ruth chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two sons took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the women was left without her two sons and her husband. What a great story. Right, things are going great in Israel. You got an awesome husband and a couple of cool kids, and then famine strikes. So where do you go? Of all places, they choose to go to a place called Moab. Um, Moab and Israel, not really friends. In fact, a lot of uh, conflict, historical conflict that went on there. On top of that, the Moabite women did not have a great reputation among the Israelite women because the Moabite women, kind of sketchy, and they'd come in and get the Israelite men and drag them out to Moab and convince them to do all sorts of things that the Israelite women were not cool with. Um, so when they end up moving to Moab, and then on top of that, um, poor Naomi, her sons decide to marry Moabite women. And then what happens to her sons? Well, her husband dies, and then her sons die, and she's left with these two women she has nothing uh, in common with that she probably shouldn't be hanging out with. Uh, and it's really, it, it's, it's a sad beginning to a story. And I think a lot of us, again, if we look at our own life, you might say, yeah, but my story has a sad beginning to it too. A lot of us can say that. In fact, as we look through the scriptures, the beginning of Exodus, that's a sad story. But what happens? God sets the stage for a sad story, and then through the whole thing, he highlights and emphasizes his triumph and his faithfulness. That's what we see in the story of Ruth and Naomi. It's loss, it's trial, it's tragedy, and then God sets the stage to display what? His faithfulness, his love, his triumph. So the question, ladies, then, is, is what part of your story did you see as a trial or a tragedy or as a loss, and how has God used that ultimately to show you his faithfulness, his love, and his triumph? Well, um, for me, after, oh gosh, seven years of infertility, 
um, I found myself towards the end of the <clears throat> season that God had me in where I had IVF transfer and miscarried. And I just saw him kind of sustain me through that. And then the second IVF transfer, when I lost twins again, I was in a place where I just couldn't even get out of bed. Um, and so Mother's Day was so hard, you know? And going and helping in nursery at church was so hard. And um, I just found my place in a really broken place. And I think that when we're faced with loss, the loss of a baby, that we, um, it's like this really tight line where our flesh just wants that bitterness, you know? So when, um, talks about Naomi, she didn't just wear bitterness, she changed her name to bitterness. She became bitter. And so I think I really battled with that. I became bitter, but God did a miracle in me. He restored my heart. And I always just praise him for this. I, I said, Jesus restored, his bigger miracle was he did what he did in my heart, removing that bitterness and giving me a joy despite a child. That is the bigger miracle, is what he does and works out through that loss. The bonus was the babies, right? Um, because he renewed me, he brought me to a place of darkness and he restored that. And so I always say my, my bonus is my babies because my identity became Christ, you know? So it was, would be that for me. I think for me, uh, growing up in a non-Christian home and a broken family, I became very bitter. I didn't really know why. Um, I saw not only my parents, but just family of, you know, uh, not the ideal marriage or relationship. So that was something I didn't want. Um, met my husband, um, you, know, lo- you know, loved being with him, and he was just different, things like that. And so we decided to marry, even though I didn't want to. Um, <laughs> I, I really didn't. Even just standing there, I was like, am I doing the right thing? You know, but anyways... Um, because of that, and my husband being a believer, me not being a believer, we had some issues, you know, and, and I walked away from something that I, I didn't even know I wanted. Um, so walking away from that and being separated for a year, you know, we had Tyler during that time, and God just, I mean, I, I look back and I see through my whole life, God tugging on my heart, but it was then in that moment of what am I doing, you know? And God restored our marriage, you know. He used my husband to witness to me because my husband turned his heart back to Christ, you know, forgot his first love, went back to that. That then, you know, was a reflection on me of what am I doing, and that just brought us back together. So uh, the redemption story is my story, you know, because I was broken and I didn't know who the Lord was and I was searching, you know, and he used that tragedy that we're 1%. Most people that separate, you know, especially for a year, aren't getting back together. So for God to do that is just a miracle in itself because to the world standard, we shouldn't be together. And we are, by the grace of God. Amen. Let's move on to the, the next part of it because Naomi does what she thinks is right and she gives Ruth and Orpah an out, right? She says, hey, your husbands have died, your father-in-law's dead, it's just me, um, so why don't you go home? You're like, no, mom, we love you. And she's like, I'm serious. Why don't you just go home? Um, and Orpah says, fine. So she kisses her and then leaves. But Ruth responds very differently. In verse 18, this happens. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. 
Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. She's completely committed. Completely, completely committed. And as I said before, that relationship between mother-in-law and son-in-law or mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, it's oftentimes not good. That's what's depicted in our movies, it's what's depicted in the books, it's what's depicted on the TV shows, and and all too often, that's what's depicted in our families. Uh, And what we see here is something completely different. And Lenny, I love, you're the only one here yet who's a mother-in-law. We've got mother-in-laws, but you are a mother-in-law, and I would love for you to share what your relationship is like with your son-in-laws and your daughter-in-laws. I would love to. First of all, we call our daughters and sons our son-in-loves and our daughter-in-loves because we feel that um, we speak blessing over our kids and their spouses, and from the day they marry, they are the best person for our child. And um, we had a very unique opportunity. Our oldest son, the one I mentioned before, his um, now wife, we were pastoring, we pastored for 20 years, and we were pastoring in Durango, Colorado, and we lived in the parsonage across the street from the soccer field. And I noticed one day this little girl sitting over there, she's about 12, and tiny, 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 she's part Filipino, she's teeny, teeny. And um, so she looks even younger, but it was growing dark, and I was like, where is her mother? I'm, a, I'm just, I am a nurturer, by, because that's how God made us as women. And I was so concerned about her. Anyway, I invited her over, and um, before long, every day, her mother didn't come till 9 o'clock to pick her up. And this was like three and a half hours, her mother was shopping. And the next day, her mother was shopping and hadn't come again, and she was with us, and she began to eat with us and stay with us. And um, her family, it turns out, was extremely dysfunctional, and that's a whole other story. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. My heart really was in tune with what this girl was walking through. And so anyway... Uh, over the course of time, I began to wonder if my son actually liked her and um, that he was young as himself. And I said, what do you think of Sarah? He goes, are you kidding me? She's annoying. And um, anyway, he eventually married her. But the cool... (laughs) I know, it really is comical. They'll be married 10 10 years next month. But um, the cool thing is, is that I was able, by God's grace, to pour into her what she needed. Not just the mom relationship, but what Jesus was. And this girl, has, she is so the opposite of her family. They have a godly home. She loves Jesus. She loves others. She speaks with um, great grace and wisdom. And I believe that we as women have an opportunity to look around us and say, who, who is needing? Who is needing? Because we, we take pity. I mean, I don't like the word pity, but it's true. We, take, we have compassion because that is what God naturally put in us. There are people hurting all around us, not just girls, but girls and boys. And our second daughter in love, uh, a long story, but anyway, her mom ended up in a psych ward for a very extended amount of time and we took in all her and all her sisters. And um, we had a bunch of kids and we had a blast. And I was able by God's grace to pour into her and she is a godly woman, they're expecting her what will be our 12th grandbaby. They live here in Phoenix. And she speaks again with great grace and wisdom. And it's, I know it's because God used that time. I didn't know at that time she would be my daughter in love and I didn't know the other one would either. And I feel so privileged that 
I had that opportunity and that I was able to um, be used by the Lord. I didn't see it as that. Our three son-in-loves have come the more traditional way, but we, um, we love them and we support them and we are a blessing to them because that is our responsibility and to pour into them with um, God's grace. That's great. So if you're looking to get married, move into the Saunders family. <laughs> and eventually they'll adopt a kid for you and then bam, you'll get married. Uh, this story is really neat because it ends full circle with this lady, Ruth, meeting a guy named Boaz. He's this stud muffin of a dude, owns a field and stuff, um, which is really cool back then. Um, they get married, they have a baby. Uh, and what I love about the story is that, you know, God has a tendency of doing things we think he shouldn't do and using people we think he has no business using. Um, that's what he does in his story because Ruth and Boaz, they get married, they have a baby named Obed, little boy. Um, Obed grows up, he gets married, has a son named Jesse. Um, Jesse grows up, Jesse gets married, he has a bunch of sons, one of their names, David. David grows up, so on and so forth, and guess who's born way down the line to a 16-year-old girl named Mary? Jesus. Isn't it cool how God takes the trial, the tragedy, the sorrow, and everything and elevates his faithfulness, his love, and his triumph. It's what he's in the business of doing, working all things to the good of those who love him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I think the road of parenting is full of windy, dangerous, and downright frightening paths. And what we see in the scriptures is that God loves our kids more than we could ever love our kids, that God has a plan for our kids that isn't always the plan that we have, but when we trust him with it, what does he do? He's the one who makes that path straight. So ladies, as a final encouraging this morning, how would you encourage um, the current moms, the grandmoms, and those who are desiring to someday be moms, how would you encourage them to walk that road of trusting in the Lord with faith and then also being faithful to your children? I think the dedications was a good example of uh, dedicating your child and uh, asking you know, the congregation, your brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside you. It does take a village, this is our village. And we need to take advantage of that and allow people like you said that have teenagers that have gone through you know, different stages of life, let them come alongside you and those that have older children come alongside those. You know, we, my husband and I have been fortunate enough to serve in the 20s and 30s ministry, you know, being in Julie and Josh's small group leaders, you know, it's such a blessing. We love children, you know, our kids are older, we have the time, you know, we can serve in the nursery, things like that. That is not anything that we have to do, we want to do. We want to come alongside these young moms and dads. And, you know, we're not perfect parents, but we've been through a lot. And I think we can then help, you know, with some wisdom and some guidance and free babysitting, you know. Um, it's a win-win because we love the children and they need time alone and it's important. Um, you know, in, in Proverbs, you know, when the, it says about, um, you know, guiding your children, it reminds me of how much um, I and my children fail. So I can rejoice in the power of the gospel to curb my own faults, you know, at the hardest of my children's hearts, you know, sometimes that I'm, I'm not any better than my kids, 
you know? So I have to, you know, come to them once in a while and apologize and say I'm sorry for certain things and, you know, bring it to the Lord. And um, I think we have to be that example, you know, to our kids too, that we're not perfect. You know, we're not expecting perfection out of them either, so. I would say that if you're waiting to be a mom, just to hang in there, um, God is mega faithful. It says in 2 Timothy 2.13 that, um, you know, I have to read it. If we're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. And so no matter how dark season we might be in and, you know, our knuckles are really tight clinging onto our, to Jesus, that he will be faithful to you. God loves you. He created you uniquely. He has a precious adventure in store for your life. And so just hang on to him and he will fulfill that. If he, if he gave you a desire to be a mom, he created you. He's going to let you be a mom. And it's not going to be, like I would say, I wasn't the perfect square that I had planned for my life, but it was so much better than I would have had planned, you know? So hang in there. And I would just say that, you know, from the beginning of scripture, the very first story, God created women as influencers. Eve influenced her husband for evil. All throughout scripture, women were influencers. That is one of our roles, why he created us and how he created us. And so we as women have the opportunity to influence for godliness. And so I would encourage you to dig into God's word. Reading books is great, but reading God's word is better. Read about, no, don't read about him. Read his story, read his words, and um, then pour into those around you. Ask God for opportunities. Who is, who is the most um, needy person around me who needs a mom figure in their life? And besides pouring into our kids, we have that responsibility, but we are capable. God created women. Listen, we are multitaskers. True story. And he created us to, to multitask and to be able to love many around us, everyone he puts in our path, and to influence them for righteousness and for godliness. It's a great, great privilege. Thank you. Can you guys show your appreciation to them? We already gave them gifts during first service, but we're obligated to do it again because you didn't see that part. Um, so thank you. There's just an, an encouraging note and then a gift card to go buy some mom stuff from a store I wouldn't shop at. Um, secondly, in a second, we're gonna close and, and sing together talking about the faithfulness of God and how that then should inspire our faith in him all the more. Um, if you are currently a mom, if you're a grandmom, um, maybe you're here this morning and someday you desire to be a mom. Would you stand? Because we'd love um, to grab your hand or put a hand on you and just close in prayer and thanking God for your, um, your faithfulness to your kids and everything else. So if you're a mom, you could stand up. If you want to be a mom, you could stand up. Uh, and we'd love to pray for you. And then family and friends, if you're around, if you just put a hand on your mom, um, grab her hand, whatever you'd like to do. And Lenny is going to lead us. Lord God, we thank you for your great mercy and your astounding faithfulness. God, we have women all throughout this place and those in reach of, via the internet. And Lord, each of them are in a unique place in their lives. And yet, God, you are present. You are working on their behalf. You love them immeasurably. And so, God, for the single who longs to be married and have children, for the woman who is struggling and battled infertility and battling infertility, God, you have a good plan. 
And Lord, for those even who um, have given babies up, those who've had abortions, Lord, you are still working in their behalf because you are a loving, faithful God. Lord, for those who are currently moms out with kids at home, those who are grandmas, Lord, I pray that each woman would take the challenge to nurture and love those around them, that they would see, God, your unique calling on their lives, unlike anybody else's. Lord, that you would place those in their, in their close proximity that they would pour into. God, there's nothing more fulfilling than doing your work, and that's your work. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness, and we thank you for this very special day. It is such a privilege to be a mom. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.